So I'm interested to hear about your spiritual journey. Okay. Um, Where did you begin? I think... I think it officially began um, probably about a week and a half before I enrolled in my first astrology class. Before, um, okay. Yes, I mean, I, I had so that's been... What, was that the inspiration for enrolling? In no, it was just that was... Um, I remember, and this would have been, you know, early 1995. Hmm. Um, I remember sort of being very, having this moment of realizing, you know, I really, I don't know where I'm going in my journey. And so the idea of actually wanting any kind of romantic partnership was sort of silly because I didn't know who I was or who I was becoming. And until I had an idea of that, then there wasn't going to be any point of, of pursuing anything. Yes. And the universe kind of said, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I started, I, I met my my, you know, at that point, my future partner for a very significant part of my spiritual journey in that first astrology class. Um, and as a result of meeting him, I met several people who became very instrumental in teaching me and guiding me and giving me sort of a foundation of how I wanted to approach counseling mm -hmm. and everything kind of you know, that that's when it was sort of absolutely on the journey right now. This is, <laughs> this is a nonstop express train from this point forward. Right. Um, just to like took you and went, right, let's go. It's, it's been, it, it was just, it continues to be a remarkable ride, but it was a very remarkable journey from that point forward. And I just, I, met the teachers that I needed in an informal mm. setting, um, which ultimately led me to some, to some teachers in a more formal setting. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's been, I mean, it's, I guess it's been almost 30 years. <laughs> I mean, 95. So, you know, 20, uh, however many years that is. What have you learned in that time? <laughs> well yes i can distill that into 25 years um yeah and you don't have to tell us all of it you just I, have to tell I, us something I interesting have... wow um what has really become my compass mm. for all of this is consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, I 
I mean, obviously I, I pursued astrology and, and work with astrology and continue to work with astrology. And that's been a really important part of my journey. Um, but the center of everything that I do and everything that I teach um, is, is the consciousness research uh, by David R. Hawkins. Yeah. Uh, the power versus truth and the power, scale power of versus force is, is the book that everybody power versus force. Yeah. And that, scale was, and of that consciousness was, is what yes. you call it. This levels of truth or something like that. The, the levels of truth, the map of consciousness, his work hmm. um, for the better part of, well, for the better part of 17 years, I guess, and counting he is my spiritual reading on a, on a daily basis. I have read through all of his books multiple times. The biggest single leap for myself in my journey um, happened as a direct result. And I, and I was looking, I knew you were going to ask about this. So I looked up the dates. It would have been Christmas of 2005. Hmm. Because his book, Truth Versus Falsehood, had just recently come out, and I happened to come across a copy of it. And I spent about three days over the Christmas holidays reading that from cover to cover. And experienced such a profound shift in my consciousness as a result of that. It was a very challenging book. It made me, you know, it, it made me question a lot of things that I personally thought, well, this has to be, you know, you know, and it's like, nope, objective calibration, that's not the case. Mm. And I confronted a lot of that. And as a result of that, I know that things shifted dramatically for me. Fantastic. So I mean, for, for the benefit of those not familiar with David Hawkins' work, uh, we should give a little bit of an introduction. Um, David Hawkins was the foremost researcher into the field of human consciousness. Um, he developed using the science of applied kinesiology, which is muscle testing. Hmm. And muscle testing has been around for a very long time. And there's a lot of holistic practitioners that'll use it to determine, you know, gee, is this supplement the right supplement? For me, because the the body's acupuncture system basically um, the muscles go strong or or weak in the presence of something that is either beneficial or not beneficial. Dr. Hawkins discovered that this applies to everything, and that in fact it can be used, and it is the only thing that can be accurately used by human beings to differentiate between truth and falsehood, because human beings can't do that <laughs> without a tool. Mm -hmm. We, we, you know, we, we believe that what we perceive as real is true. And reality, as I teach, reality is nothing special. If you're, if you're experiencing something, it's real. It's totally subjective. So I talk about there's two different kinds of reality. There's the big R reality, which is all that is. God, the divine, the creator, the infinite, everything that could possibly exist, that's the big R reality. And there is no separation or distance from that. That's the ultimate truth. 
And then there's your little r reality, which is everything in your world. And that's completely subjective. And no matter what you experience, it's real. So when you dream, it's completely real. When you wake up, it's completely real. You can't compare two experiences and say one is more real than the other. But David Hawkins created this calibrated scale of truth. Truth is objective. And you can compare two different experiences, both of which are equally real, and say this one is more true than the other. And his map of consciousness is... And by more true, I mean closer to the cosmic universal reality, right? Yes, there's, there's an absolute scale of truth. And then you can compare, I mean, different, different levels of reality. And one of the ways that he sort of talks about this and one of the ways I present this hmm. after many years of teaching it, finally realized here's the best way to present this to really make people understand this because the idea obviously is, oh, this absolute truth is, is what I should be reaching for. Well, Sure, but that's not practical and it's not part of your reality and it's not going to do any good if you can't actually access it. And higher vibrations are not better on any level except that there's a greater level of happiness there. They feel objectively better. Mm. That's it. Um, so getting rid of the judgments about the lower levels of consciousness is a big deal. But I talk about different states of matter. There's solid liquid gas. If you're dealing with water, it's ice, liquid water, and then steam. All exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. But based on the vibration, it has different qualities. Ice has a different reality, different qualities, different properties than steam but it's not better or worse than steam. It's just when, when water vibrates at that frequency, these are the things that exist. These are the rules that govern that reality at that frequency. Mm -hmm. This is how consciousness works. Um, so if you tune to a different level of consciousness, there are different things that exist in your little r reality because you're noticing different things. It's just like tuning to a different radio station. You're going to hear a different kind of music. You tune to a country music radio station. Your world is filled with country music. That's all you're ever going to hear. Yeah. It doesn't mean <laughs> yes. that other types of music don't exist. It just means at that frequency, that's what you're going to hear. Yeah. And whether that's good or bad depends on whether or not you happen to enjoy country music. And grasping that is, is the thing, it, it's the center of everything that I ever teach. Mm. You know, even in my astrology classes, I teach the consciousness. I, I expose my students every single week to the map of consciousness because I say, look, this is something that it takes a while to understand, but this is the map of how to get from where you are now to happy. It is the single most important thing that I can share with you. And just being exposed to it over and over and over again is actually going to make a substantial difference in your life. <laughs> um, and people get it or they don't, but it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's the foundation 
of of everything that I do because it's the foundation of my spiritual journey. It's the Mm -hmm. foundation of how I understand things. So everything, everything that I do with astrology, when I'm teaching astrology, I incorporate these different levels of consciousness. Then I work with the shorthand of the four kingdoms of consciousness, um, which is easier. Um, I'm not familiar with that. This is something that Michael Beckwith popularized, but it was actually invented by his mentor, Dr. Homer Johnson. Hmm. And it breaks consciousness into four kingdoms. First kingdom is known as victim consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's the domain of the ego. And it corresponds to everything on the map of consciousness that calibrates below 200. So it calibrates Mm -hmm. below the critical line of integrity. And when you experience a little our reality when you're telling your story from that level of consciousness things are done to you that's the way michael beckwith talks about it uh the world appears to be competitive there are winners and losers this is all you know and then there's all of those levels the, the emotions associated with those lower levels of consciousness pride and anger and grief and fear all of those things are completely real. None of them are true. Mm. Um, then second kingdom is the domain of the linear mind. Um, this is where you take your power back. Things are done by me, according to Michael Beckwith. And second kingdom is the calibrations from 200 up through 500. So it's the linear domain. Um, and 500 is pretty high. That's 500 like- is the... So the levels of demarcation, 500 is the level of As I remember, that's like inner peace and uh, compassion and stuff. At at the level of 500, you move from the linear to the Mm nonlinear. So 500 to 600 are these spiritual realities. Right. And 500 is the calibration level of love. Mm. And when you start, when you move into third kingdom um when your consciousness advances to that level and quite frankly read david hawkins for long enough and it will Mm -hmm. um there is a profound shift in your reality Mm -hmm. and and there's a profound change in your values and a lot of my counseling practice when i was focusing on the on the counseling part of things was sort of dedicated to helping people to navigate that shift because really you stop you start to realize that you no longer really care about the things that you used to care about and you don't really care about the things that other people care about in the way that they seem to care about them and the way you used to care about them. And it's, it's disorienting. Mm-hmm. And it takes time to acclimate to this idea that love, not an interpersonal, not a one-to-one thing, but, but love as a quality of the divine starts to become the thing that you really care about. Yeah. 
and you start, I mean, this is, this is the point where you really begin to realize the truth that happiness lives inside you. You can say that and people, oh, sure, happiness is, it, you know, and, and, you know, that's true, but it's not real for most people. Mm. Happiness is, you know, sure, happiness lives inside me, but, but clearly happiness is out there in the outside world. It's right. It's, it's ten. It's ten million dollars and and the perfect relationship and an Oscar or two. I mean, that's mm. it's right there. <laughs> I can buy happiness. Just I know where to shop, and that's the reality for most people. And until you have inner experiences that happen in third kingdom until you start to have these experiences in the non-linear realm and they become a part of your little r reality it doesn't fully make sense that wait a minute i really care more about whatever this is that's inside of me and it doesn't you know intellectually you know you can get what you want and still not be happy but that doesn't stop us from thinking that's what happiness is but once, as you advance with more and more truth, as you learn to question your story, mm. I talk about this as elevating the truth quotient. That's when you really discover happiness. Um, and this is one of the things, I mean, it took me I'll go circle back a little bit to David Hawkins um, because I read him for many years before I realized that he is describing these higher levels of consciousness based on direct personal experience. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that initially because the way that it's written does not personalize any of this because there is not an individual that experiences any of that. I had the great fortune to see him in person. Um, this would have been 2007. Mm -hmm. Maybe I drove up with a friend to, to Long Beach and we got to see him do a day long workshop. And the first half of the workshop was a, was a presentation and the second half he was taking questions from the audience. And somebody asked him basically about his enlightenment experience. And he starts to answer and there was just something weird. I, I, it, was, it was weird. I didn't. And then a few minutes later, somebody else asked him to, to elaborate on that. And the same thing happened. And I realized that what I was seeing, what I was witnessing was pretty much the presence of the divine speaking because there was no longer any individual ego there. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how else to describe it. It was a profound thing to witness. He talks about it in the books that because once you reach the levels of enlightenment, which by the way, the only reason we care about them is that there's a hundred percent rate of happiness. It's all about happiness. Mm -hmm. 
But once you reach those levels, there is no longer any ego. There is no longer an individual. There is only the presence. But if you choose to stick around physically and engage with the world, then this persona sort of shows up that translates between the presence and and other people. So it's not who you are, but it's this, you know, it's sort of a personality remnant um, that facilitates the communication. And what I was seeing when he was talking about the direct experience of, of awakening was that was set aside because there is no individual that can experience this. And, and that, that was, I mean, that was a profound experience to, to be able to witness that. And, and, and it certainly helped put his work into more context, right? a better understanding uh, of it um, and, and how I'm, and, and how I, teach it in in various and sundry ways because it's and so this would be the fourth kingdom yes the, the enlightenment so so fourth kingdom is you know michael beckwith says fourth kingdom things are done as me i say no because at those levels of consciousness there's no longer a me for things to be done as we um, has to be we well it's it's not even it's well, just my, my personal experience that I, I, I actually went through the third kingdom unhappy. I, I suffered okay. it quite, quite intensely. It was like uh, these amazing experiences of divine love and uh-huh. it's not enough. There's something missing. <laughs> <laughs> so that drove me to some experience of unity. And, and my experience of unity was this. Love is like gravity pulling two planets together mm-hmm. and as long as they're orbiting around each other then the the love is pulling the two together mm-hmm. but they're not touching yeah if they stop orbiting and they just slam into each other mm-hmm. they become one planet mm-hmm. there is no longer a sense of love as in this in as we understand it because i can't love you because mm-hmm. i and you are not separate i can't say the sentence i love you but i right. can say we are in love or I can say we, it, it has to be about we because the, the, the two are not separate. Um, well, but and, at the same time, I feel like there is a certain, there is still an understanding of I, there's me and there's you. It's just there's not a, not a wall between us. And, and at higher levels, love becomes something else because there is no object yeah there's still exactly. even with we there's still kind of a subject and an object and really there isn't mm-hmm. that's that's you know that that that's that's how we that's how we experience it it becomes less about as david hawkins talks about it becomes less about special relationships mm-hmm. and progressively unconditional but but really when 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 you're dealing with it at these higher levels 
and I have an intellectual understanding of this. I do not have a direct mm-hmm. experience of upper levels of third kingdom with this, but there's no, there's no object. It, it's, it's, it's just this, it is presence. Love is, is everything. It is present in all things at all times. It's a quality. It's one of the qualities of God. So it has to be present in everything. All we can do is fail to notice it. So you, you can't run out of love and have to go down to the corner store and pick some more up. It's there in everything. And I was, I was listening to Jordan Peterson talk yesterday. Uh-huh. And I was talking about this question, how can God love us so much and allow such horrific things to happen in the world? And I have an answer to that, but I'll be interested in your answer first. Well, there's an inherent judgment there that is not accurate. The judgment is that these things are horrific. That's not, that, that's an opinion. They're horrific because you don't personally find them pleasant. So therefore they must be bad. And that, that's real. But it's not true, and you can't mix these levels of abstraction. You can't look at the world from a human perspective and then say, how could God allow this? Yeah. You know, I, I talk about, you know, we are eternal multidimensional beings. We are each currently having a human experience. Um, and you know, part of part of my new coaching model is looking at the game of this human experience. But it is a game. It is a virtual reality experience. It is completely immersive, and you're making it real because that's the fun of it. But your eternal self, who you truly are, is watching this is is having fun with it so it's it's a matter of perspective there is a significant difference between sitting in a movie theater watching a screening of halloween and being excited by it eating the popcorn and actually being jamie lee curtis and if we don't define the context How am I looking at this? What's my perspective when I'm making this judgment? Then you can't make these abstractions. You can't say, well, you know, all of these things are bad. Well, they're bad from a personal perspective, but you don't know what the bigger truth is. We think that people dying is a bad thing. Well, that's a bad thing if we think death is real, if we think that people can actually die, if we don't realize that we are eternal and we have many, many, many different human experiences and, and you know, in a vast and infinite universe, 
you want to explore everything. Your soul wants to explore everything, which means spending a certain amount of time exploring things that from a personal level are not terribly pleasant. But our soul, who is sitting in the movie theater watching this, is just loving. How's he going to get out of that? Boy, that's... T- and and where are you viewing this from? <laughs> what are you identifying as? Are you identifying as the character in your story? In which case, yes, it's terrible. The world is awful and your reality has all of these horrible things. Or are you viewing it from the, from the truth that look at this amazing story that you've created. Look at this game that you've created. You want to become conscious of it. You can play it a little bit better. You can, you can look at these challenges, but this is just a chapter. You've been here, you know, however many millions of times, because time is a linear construct to make sense of these things. And all of that's true, but it's not necessarily real. So it becomes having these kinds of spiritual and philosophical discussions gets tricky because everyone involved in the discussion needs to sort of have the same level of ability to define, okay, we're viewing it from this perspective. So from this perspective, the idea that all these things are horrible that's a human judgment and that's certainly you know i didn't enjoy that so therefore it is bad um versus is it really bad can we pull out and see the bigger picture do we understand that karma is something that is not personal but that does play out and keep in mind how barbaric humanity was for thousands and thousands of years. So the idea that people get slaughtered in mass genocides, well, yeah, but we don't know, we don't know what kind of karmic debt that's paying off from maybe their tribe killed another tribe in another lifetime. Not important, but because it's karma, which is none of our business, because that's way up, you know, beyond anything we're going to be able to understand. But it's not personal. Hmm. And, and so just because I look at that and think, oh, that's unpleasant, that's a terrible thing, I, which really means I don't want that to happen to me. Yeah. That's the judgment. That's the, that's the essence of that. Um, that's real but you need to recognize that you're defining a level of reality and you can't jump levels and say, well, I don't want this to happen to me. How could God allow this to happen? Mm-hmm. That's not a, you can't make that leap in a single sentence. It doesn't make any sense. I have a friend who experienced uh, awakening to universal connection. Mm. And what he said about it is that everything I'd heard about it is true, but none of it is the same as what I thought it was. (laughs) So I think this is true of these, these words, like, it's absolutely true that there is some kind of divine consciousness out there, that is like God, but the conception that we have of God is completely, you know, off the charts, totally nothing like what, what God is actually like. 
and the same about love you know we we have this concept of love and when you experience divine love it's nothing like what we think of as love you wouldn't recognize it you wouldn't think that it's love you would i actually gave up using the word love because i was like hang on that doesn't describe this this is doesn't, this is not doesn't that. mean what i think it means yeah. <laughs> and i think even us you know god loves us i think even us needs to be redefined in that sentence from a divine perspective one of the things that hawkins talks about is how our conceptualization our, our, our idea of god is defined by our dominant level of consciousness mm -hmm. because as your consciousness expands as you align with increasing levels of truth your idea of the divine has to change mm -hmm. i love one of my uh a friend is a science of my minister and we'll, we'll often, you know, atheists and things say, well, I, I don't believe in the gods. You don't believe in either. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, we have, we, we, we start out, we have this idea of God as being, you know, old bearded white guy in the sky. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and that changes. This is something this is something that that really another very very specific part of my spiritual journey because i was angry at god i had trouble with the g word for a long time and i started going through and, and i was i was i had started training with the science of mind and spirit i started in the practitioner training program so this was probably around that point and i had been i mean there had been a certain amount of direct work around god and the divine and mm -hmm. i've been reading hawkins and i remember i was watching the movie bruce almighty oh, yes. um and again i'm watching it and i'm sort of it's okay. I mean, but, but it was, I was having sort of this odd thing watching it and Morgan Freeman is God in that movie. And I'm watching the movie and I realized towards the end of the movie, I know why this is not landing with me. It's not landing with me because I no longer have any image of god as being separate from me even morgan freeman hmm. and that was kind of wild to to really have that awareness that no my my understanding of god is totally different than it than it was and it's no longer separate from me. Um, there, there are times, and, and that's not, when I think about it, when I'm conscious, it's no longer separate from me. When I don't pay attention, I clearly spend a lot of time feeling separate. Ah, but, but it's, 
because this is the thing when you when you have these realizations it doesn't mean that that's everything it just means that you've now got an anchor for that yeah. and then sometimes you have to build on that anchor and go great yes that's true here and oh it's also true here and it's also true here <laughs> and you sort of have you know I've, you know my experience has sort of been having to expand that and real you know because there are old stories in my life where there's still a lot of separation and I would have to look at it and go, wait a minute, is that true? No. Is God there? Of course God is there. And now God is there. But it takes that conscious, no, this pattern doesn't, I don't need to be running that anymore. That's no longer. Until it doesn't anymore. There's a point where, until it doesn't anymore. There's a point where you're uh, able to, consciously connect yes and then there is a point where you unconsciously connect and then you can't disconnect anymore well, and, and, and there's a, quite a, a, a big uh, that's kind of the next shift that i imagine you're looking forward to i i really take the whole chop wood carry water approach mm. <laughs> things um One thing that I've observed, one thing that I that I really try to make my students aware of, one thing I really try to make my clients aware of, especially when I've got clients that are doing that are wanting to do more advanced spiritual work. I have never encountered anyone who picks up spiritual practices, starts doing spiritual practices, and just keeps doing them. I've never encountered anyone that progresses, learns new tools, and then just uses them. The process, and I've seen, and I've gone through this many, many times myself, I, my students go through this, my clients go through this, is you start using these tools. You start using the spiritual practices. You do the spiritual reading. You, you, you embark on this. And these tools are incredibly powerful, but they're very, you know, they're also very subtle. And you go along for a while and you reach a point where you need to get a reference for what, you know, because it's like, okay, well, life is, life is fine, but it's, but it's a gradual thing. Hmm. You are gradually happier. So you don't necessarily notice, you don't necessarily have a reference to compare it to. So you need to stop. <laughs> you need to stop for a little while and get a reference for how bad things can get if you don't use these. Uh-huh. I also discovered that when it, you know, and, and, but, but, and also for me, it took years for me t- to rely on spiritual practice because I would start with the spiritual practices and I would be consistent with my daily spiritual practice as long as my life was going well. And then as soon as something blew up in my life, the first thing to go were the spiritual practices because they were new. 
And I would go back to the behaviors that I thought were the ones that I could use to cope with things. Mm. And then after the crisis passed, I would go and go, oh, you know, that energy tool or that spiritual practice that really could have applied here and I'd apply it in retrospect, but it took years to get to the point where when something blows up in my life, the first thing I reach for is an energy tool or a spiritual practice instead of reaching for a cookie. Mm. Um, and sometimes I still reach for a cookie, but it's, I think very few people embark on a spiritual journey with any kind of structure, with any kind of clear expectations, with any kind of way of tracking progress. Tracking progress is quite an issue. I have it with my students at the moment because I, I watch them becoming so much happier, but then they don't notice the progress themselves. Uh, yes. Like, and even the other students notice them. I say, do you notice the difference in him? And he say, yeah, yeah. And do you notice it in yourself? No, I don't notice anything. I kind of going like, is there some tool people can use to actually like look at themselves and go like, well, yeah. Funny you should ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have, after many, many years of struggling with astrology, trying to make it practical, trying to figure out how to, how to get astrology to do what I thought it should do, instead of using astrology kind of as a jumping off point for spiritual practices, which weren't necessarily accessible to everybody. Mm. Um, I have developed this model called the human game mm -hmm. and the human game is a way to use strategies from your unique birth chart to achieve your goals explore your mm -hmm. potential and experience happiness one of the things that you're doing so so let me give you a little quick modeling of this your birth chart is a blueprint of the city of your life and the city of your life is divided into 12 neighborhoods. And as you upgrade those neighborhoods, you get to have more and better experiences in those different parts of your life. Mm -hmm. To do anything in the human game, you need to operate these heavy equipment vehicles, which are the seven planets. They need fuel to be able to operate. So that's the first thing we, you know, it's, it's not a lack of motivation. You need fuel to do the things you know you need to do. Mm -hmm. And then you need to generate resources in the warehouses um, to be able to upgrade things. One of the tools with the human game, the way you play the human game is you are tracking these goals. So for example, um, you've got, you know, in a, in a coaching session, the first part of the session we'll go through, we'll establish the external goal, what you think you need to be happy because the mind, the monkey mind needs a banana. Here's what you think you're working towards. We're going to get very clear about that. So, you know, but then there's only so much you can actually do to stay motivated for an external task. Then we're going to look at what you need to do to generate fuel. And we'll take daily tasks, turn them into something you can use to generate fuel. 
but you're tracking this. And the way you're tracking it is you're saying, okay, I have a fuel tank for this goal. And this is the challenging part for people. You look at that, there's a gauge on the fuel tank. It's got a percentage number. What's the number on the fuel tank? Mm. Okay, 64%. Great. That's your baseline reading. Then you go do whatever you're doing with what I call the AAA plan, which is attention, action, and awareness. And then you take another reading. So you are tracking this incremental progress, mm-hmm. having generated fuel, having generated resources in warehouses. And it is giving you something very specific that you can track. And this I think, because I haven't road tested it for long enough from a spiritual level to know, but this this gives you a way of tracking, oh, I am making progress on the inner level because here are my scores. And maybe it's not an external thing. Maybe I'm not necessarily feeling happy, but I'm staying motivated to these goals. And I know, well, today I... I added 10 points in resources here and I ordered six points, added six points in fuel here and all of that's inner stuff. So this is potentially a way of tracking spiritual progress because all of these inner things really are things that feed into inner happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't connected that part of the human game model Um, because it starts out as a coaching model. It starts out as let's look at what you want. Um, Look at what you think is going to make you happy. Yeah, We'll we'll give you a plan that your conscious mind is going to think is going to help you to get there. Meanwhile, we're going to show you how to do things that are actually going to give you happiness and satisfaction and meaning along the way. Mm -hmm. So at some point your ego will wake up and go, I'm actually getting a lot of happiness just from this. Maybe I'll put some more attention on this inner thing as much as I'm paying attention to the outer stuff. The advanced levels of the human game deal with the archetypal astrology programs that I, that I put together many years ago, which are not for the faint of heart. <laughs> um, they're, they're, they're very intense. They're very, and, you know, and, and they're abstract because you are working with these planets as archetypes that live inside you. You are dealing with these big universal concepts and you are primarily engaging with them through specific targeted spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. And while these spiritual practices make huge differences, they're subtle. And and if you don't have some way of getting a reference for this is how I felt today, you know, this is how I'm feeling now to know, oh, yeah, the spiritual practice is working, then you're going to get discouraged. You're going to need to stop. You're going to need to try to go back to who you were. That never works. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is, you know, the, the fine print with this stuff is that once you know how to do these spiritual practices. Once you've learned some of these energy tools, you can't not use them anymore. You can't go back 
to who you were before you knew that stuff. And if you try to, it will be exceptionally uncomfortable. And you will try because you need the reference of going, yeah, nope, that door's closed. <laughs> Definitely don't want to feel that. Um, but I think the ability to get these internal references and, and generate these internal references even when you're dealing with specifically the spiritual stuff, even when you're focused on the inner journey, you know, more than, okay, I'm saving up to buy a house. That's the external goal because, you know, you need to learn the mechanics of the human game with an external goal. It's, you know, but, but it ultimately quickly becomes about the inner stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think using these tools, realizing you can, you can quantify anything as long as you realize that there's something to quantify. So I work with the idea of a safety need account and a validation need account, and safety is critically important. And I'm realizing, you know, I I had never taken the step far enough to go, just like the fuel tanks in the human game, you've got a fuel gauge on your safety need account. Mm. quantify where that is. Don't just assume, oh, I'm not feeling safe. Get an actual number, do the present moment awareness safety meditation, reconnect with the truth that right here, right now in this moment, you are in fact completely safe. And then check the balance in the safety need account again to realize, yes, it has in fact gone up. There is something measurable there is something quantifiable and i'm beginning to explore this Mm -hmm. um but i know that's something that's missing from traditional coaching and i'm realizing this this could help with i don't think it's ever going to prevent people from from needing the flat out reference of nope i'm done with this stuff and then slamming into the brick wall of, oh yeah, my life is really uncomfortable without these tools. <laughs> I think that's probably a necessary part of the process. Right. I don't mind um, minimize it a little bit. I, I'm so all about how, how, do you identifying have... the optional suffering and eliminating as much of the optional suffering as yeah. we can. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have resources prepared that people can find more information about this? Yes. Um, The website that pretty much has everything right now is playthehumangame.com. So that has a little five minute video about what the human game is. And then there's more information. And if you're interested in the astrology part of it, there's a free class on it, but that's, that's sort of everything that I have there. My main website is therealastrology.com. Um, I do have, uh, in the mystery school, I have a program called practical prosperity, mm-hmm. um, which is spiritual principles for wealth, health, and happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a spiritual training program, um, a book study thing. It's, uh, all the consciousness material is very much integrated, uh, integrated with that. Um, and that's generally for more advanced 
I'm, I'm, I've been trying to find the stepping stones for to, to, to lead people to the point where they actually can engage with the more advanced spiritual programs than I have. I always think, oh no, this is easy. And it's like, well, practical prosperity is much easier than the hero's journey was, but it's still. One of my favorite composers is, is Bartok. Uh -huh. He writes, uh, he's Hungarian and he writes, and uh, 20th century, he writes mm -hmm. weird classical music inspired by weird Hungarian folk music. Um, <laughs> but it's really good. And he had a, a niece or some, some relatives, I'm not sure exactly what the relationship was. And she wrote to him and said, can you write me a violin duet? Mm -hmm. And so he did. And she wrote back and said, it's too hard. Can you write me an easier one? And he ended up writing 22 different violin duets. Eventually, the 22nd one was easy enough for her to, her to play. So we have a really good resource for violinists. This like reverse order of difficulty, there's 22 levels of, of violin this, duets. This has been my process since 2008. When I when I first started working with with the archetypal astrology and and built that program out, it's been figuring out how to step this down to make it accessible to people and practical and and I think the human game is the way in. Mm. Because it really is very, it, it's very practical. Um, but you're, but you're, you know, and, and you're living these tools, but you're also sort of turning your life into a game. So you're learning how to explore your reality. You're learning how to tell slightly different stories about parts mm -hmm. of your life to generate these resources. And you're discovering the power of, oh, the way I narrate this does, does change what it's about. And that leads people to these experiences of, oh, I'm really kind of discovering some more meaning in this way. And that's kind of it's level one, level two, level three. Level three is where you start to consider, what is this really about for me? So it's like, well, I think I care about money, but it's not, you know, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I want these money goals, but what's money really about for you? Well, it depends on what planet rules that house and what's the universal puzzle piece. So for me, money's about safety because my moon rules my second house. For some people, money might be about growth. It might be about responsibility. So this is about the the planet that rules the the sign that is in that house. Not the, the planet that, that rules the planet that rules the sign on the cusp of the house. Mm, yeah, right. No, not actually it, that you need to have a planet. It's simple, but house. it's several steps down. But that's that's the real connection when you realize you think you care about the external thing, but whatever that external thing is, it's really about getting a deeper understanding of the universal spiritual truth of the planet that's in charge of it. But even that is too big of a leap for people, for most people to start with from the get-go. So I've got 
two steps up in the beginning of the human game for that because I did personal practical astrology last year. It was all about connecting these things. It still, it still well, it's wasn't fantastic accessible. for the people who are ready for it. Um, I, it's the people that are the people that have been ready for it have found a tremendous amount of value yeah. from it. But there's still this. It's much harder than they expected. It's not. You know, it's like, how can I make, how can I hold people's hands to help them to get acclimated to realize this really is worth sitting with these thoughts and, and asking these questions because you now understand the payoff is going to give you some real meaning that, that's going to help you to understand your life in a way that expands the context. It elevates the truth quotient. It makes things possible that might not be possible at your current vibration. And, you know, I, I, I get so excited about this stuff because I know what it's been for me. I've seen what it is for others when they experience it. And, and I realize that I, I, I've had to make the trail of breadcrumbs very small and very simple and very accessible because it's not there's a structure to these paths. I, I put a structure and a framework around these spiritual concepts. Um, and you have to sort of grapple a little bit with the framework as well as the spiritual concepts. And, and I'm realizing even throwing the consciousness stuff at people too early on, kingdoms of consciousness is useful, but getting into the Hawkins material it's it's too much for most people. He's not an easy read. I, I also I have... found it people find it kind of controversial because they don't like measuring consciousness. They don't like the kind of sense of one thing is better than another that they start but it's, to get. But, as, but and 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 this is the thing. That's not what it says. Yeah, it's what they. And get this is out of one it. of the things that I. This is one of the things that I address in my classes. Hmm. That it's not better and it's not about avoiding things because you don't ever avoid victim consciousness anger and fear and grief and shame guess what they are all a part of all that is they're a part of being human you will experience those feelings there is a difference between experiencing the feeling of anger and being limited by the frequency of consciousness of anger. There's a world of difference. And as amazing as that map of consciousness is, it reinforces the idea that higher is better because it's a linear model. So I created right. in, in my book, Anger Mastery, I created what I call the bullseye map of consciousness because i say you know yes this is this is the linear thing you need to understand it it's like the big thermometer but that's not how it actually works it actually works with these concentric circles 
So these lower levels of consciousness are still there. You're, not, you're still going to experience them. You know, first kingdom, get over it. 85% of the world lives there full time. The rest of us have vacation homes there. <laughs> it's not let go of your judgments around it. The only appropriate judgment is that if you care about happiness, and you do, there's not a lot of it to be found there. So learning how to recognize that you're there so that you can get out because you will be happier, that's it. But you have to be neutral to that. And this is so challenging. This is, and, and I was amazed at how many people that I encountered that had issues with Hawkins until I realized that they were thinking he was, you know, I'll tell you, my, the thing that hit me, and I know this was a big, I know this was the, oh, I'm not going to read him anymore for a lot of people. Truth versus Falsehood came out in 2005. And he was talking about the Iraq war. And I was very politically active and against that. And this was wrong. And, and objectively, George W. Bush calibrated in the 300s. The idea we fight them over there so we don't have to fight them over here, calibrated about 385. I did not want to accept that when I first read it. Mm. And I had to sit with that and let that dissolve my judgments that you know maybe that is true and recognizing that that's that's that that's true at that particular level of consciousness there are higher levels of consciousness but the fact is that it was in integrity doesn't mean it was perfect doesn't mean it didn't have flaws no but it was done but, with with a intention to make things better it, it, it was so, you know, and, and this has been, I don't know, 18 years of reading these books over and over again. And every time I read them, I will come across something and it's like, how was this not highlighted? <laughs> how, how did I not see this the first 10 or 12 times that I read this? Because, oh, you know, and because, well, because I'm at a different level of consciousness mm. now, and I'm able to understand it at a different level and appreciate things at different levels. And, you know, so this is why I just read them and reread them and reread them. But it's not, it's not something that I recommend people just dive in and do because it's really challenging. Mm -hmm. It's most people are not prepared for that. And while I talk about Hawkins in, in my classes, um, a lot of what I do, uh, I mean, I wrote one of you know, my book, Anger Mastery, Get Angry, Get Happy. I call it a little handbook on getting out of victim consciousness. And it is kind of intended to be a distillation in a very easy, accessible, humorous practical way of an introduction to consciousness. It talks about mm -hmm. the map of consciousness, but it explores the various things around it. 
because my hope is that people read that study that sit with that then maybe they're ready to actually pick up hawkins directly you know and he's written you know his final book is the most accessible i mean i when people are interested in hawkins i say okay here's how i recommend that you approach him don't start at the beginning <laughs> certainly don't pick up like transcending the levels of consciousness um because it's just it's a really challenging book it's amazing but it's probably not where to start so i recommend starting with letting go which was his last book and it's the easiest to read it's the least technical i recommend healing and recovery because that's transcriptions of lectures so it's less so, so it's less formal it's more conversational when he's talking about things because when you get to like transcending the levels of consciousness which i think is you know that's that's the book that i use when i do the hero's journey program because it's you know this is it this is this takes you through everything um but it's a tough read the first couple of times <laughs> you read it until you get used to it it's very technical it's very academic and if you don't have the context of understanding how all of this kind of fits together it's it's so difficult to read but once you do it's just <laughs> It's just an amazing book to dive into. And there's so so if anybody is interested in following up more with uh, more about David Hawkins' work, he's very easy to find. Just yes. have to spell his name right. H-A-W-K-I-N-S. H-A-W-K-I-N-S. And David oh. Hawkins, you will find him all over the internet, um, is a, quite a figure and has got plenty of good books. So there's plenty to, to discover they there. Are they are collectively the highest calibrated level of truth in the English language. In the English language. Ah, cool. Well, but, well and, you know, there are... Has that been compared to the Course in Miracles? Because that's what I think I've been... In Course in Miracles calibrates at 600. 600. calibrates a wow. little higher. Well, he did... Part of what part of what he discovered... I mean, and again, in Truth versus no, I'm just surprised because I... Yeah, yeah. Part of what he discovered, Course in Miracles played a big part hmm. in things because initially, and especially in power versus force, he talks about things like artificial sweeteners, fluorescent lighting, the idea that it has a universal negative effect on people. Hmm. And then he had a group of students that didn't go weak hmm. to those stimulus. And so he's like, what's going on here? Well, that group of students had all been working through A Course in Miracles. Right. And what he later, what they later discovered is that if you're working through the Course in Miracles workbook, about lesson 72, and don't mm. quote me on there, but there's a particular lesson. And once you have worked up to and through that point, there is a shift in consciousness 
such that you are no longer negatively affected by things like fluorescent lights or artificial sweeteners because it really because it moves you to a level of truth where you know you were only subject to what you were held in mind Mm. um so no all this stuff is all of this stuff is is calibrated and calibratable and the thing of it is the fact that something calibrates just because something calibrates at this ultimate level of truth, just because a lot of his books calibrate in the high 900s, doesn't mean they are useful or practical. <laughs> it took me years before I could read I or I of the I. I literally. Oh, but an interesting thing when you're reading something that calibrates at a very high level is that even if you don't understand it, it will still affect you. If you stick with it, yes. If you spend so five this minutes, is what and go, I, find, I can't do this, and you put it away, it doesn't help. What I find with the Course in Miracles textbook, which is mm-hmm. uh, particularly the, the more higher color, I would suspect is the higher frequency part of this course. The, the workbook um, is the workbook calibrates a little bit higher, but both of them calibrate above six hundred. Okay, so anyway, the the workbook the 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 power is different. So the the workbook's power is in what it says, whereas the um, textbook is more like poetry. It's just mm-hmm. like it affects you directly by the way it's written. And so I find that I, I read the textbook and and I'll read a, a chapter mm-hmm. and I kind of get it sort of as I'm reading it, but then mm-hmm. I try to remember it and I have no idea what was said. Um, but I feel like uplifted and Yes. joyful because of having, having read it so this is what happens when you get read high Any, high vibe textbooks and this is this is actually where, why why the where the concept of the reading the bible actually comes from so we've got a bible that is not so high vibration but it's inspired and several generations beyond the torah which was a very high vibration well, and and again Hawkins has all of this stuff calibrated. Yeah, <laughs> lovely. Genesis, okay. Psalms. Yes. Okay. Everything else in the Old Testament, forget it. <laughs> New Testament, everything except Revelations. Revelations calibrates at 70. Revelations is astral nightmare. And it's also but everything else. So if you remove uh-huh. everything except for Genesis, Psalms, and you, you, you keep Genesis, Psalms, the main books, and you get rid of, of the New Testament, you get rid of Revelations, uh, the Bible is in the 700s. Mm-hmm. If you use the Lamb, and that's the King James, hmm. the Lamsus, I think I'm saying that right, translation, which is directly from the Aramaic, calibrates significantly higher because there are some pretty significant translation problems. Yeah, sure. I wonder what the... The Torah well, in Hebrew, original Hebrew. The, 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 the Torah be is, um, shouldn't have been included, um, but the you know, but the New Testament was written in Aramaic. Yes, and then it was translated into Greek, and then to Latin, and then into the yeah, yeah. King James version. In the King James version, Christ on the cross asks, you know, my Father, why hast thou forsaken me? Hmm. when you're translating it directly from the aramaic my father thou hast not 
forsaken me. Oh, really? Wow. So, um, significant little, and Hawkins talks about this. I only know this from that. Um, but, but it's fascinating. I mean, you know, truth versus falsehood. The second half of the book is pretty much calibrations of everything. Um, you know, he's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people doing hundreds of thousands of independently verified calibrations of different things to give you an idea of what's an integrity, what isn't, but also recognizing that just because something calibrates, you know, so Course in Miracles calibrates in, in the 600s, some of Hawkins material calibrates in the 900s doesn't make the Hawkins material better. And it doesn't mean that it's more accessible because 600 is way more accessible to people. It's easier to understand. It is easier to take that spiritual truth and find a connection of that somewhere in your little R reality. So it's, it's so important. It's so important to, to, to become aware of these judgments of, oh, that's higher, that's better. Yeah, yeah. And no, it's just different. Okay, so check out David Hawkins. Check out playthehumangame.com. Yes. And what was the other one? Therealastrology.com. Therealastrology.com. Wonderful. Wonderful for having you. Thank you. you. Thank you. Likewise.